You're listening to the New Hope Church podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in. Get ready to jump into your word. I pray that that is our prayer. And we were listening to the verses in Ephesians. The phrase that stood out to me was the, the way that we can know your love, but we can never truly come to the end of it. What an incredible thought that should take us on a lifelong journey to try to, to hit the end of your love. Because we know it'll never be there until we actually look at you in the face one day. So I pray today that our hearts are open, our minds are open, and God, we're receptive to how the Holy Spirit is going to move through your word. Remove anything that has to do with me or us. And Holy Spirit, we're just going to ask that you would just make yourself known today, that you would move in this place, and then we'll give you all the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Well, I'm really excited to be invited to preach here at New Hope. And if I say city life, just know that I preached there for 12 years, so just go with it, okay? Um, and I haven't preached anywhere on a Sunday morning for a few months, so we'll probably be out by dinner. Um, if not, we have Grubhub drivers on standby, so it'll be good. So um, my name is Mike Wigan, and I, my family and I, we planted our very first church in 2006 in Indianapolis. Um, we actually shut that church down in 2011. That's a longer story for another day. Um, but we planted our next church, City Life Church, in Greenwood in 2012. And out of City Life, we planted five churches. Um, we've done a lot of global ministry. But my wife and I left, and our family left there in August to start something new, um, and it's called the X2 Collective. And what that is, is X is the symbol for multiplication, um, and anything that's to the second power multiplies from within itself and goes exponential. And so the collective piece is a collective of ordinary followers of Jesus being trained and deployed to do extraordinary things for him. And so there was a guy a couple thousand years ago that led an ordinary people movement. You guys didn't have any clue? Yeah, so we feel like there's no reason to try to change that. And so that's what we're doing as well. And so it's a disciple-making movement in the city, predominantly being done through simple church or you may call it a micro church. And so that, that's who is standing in front of you today. It's somebody who loves the church, somebody who loves Jesus passionately and wants everyone to know the hope of who he is. Yeah? yeah. All right, good. So I, I'm an interactive person. So um, I, it's going to really help me out to go... S- to go much shorter if you guys interact with me. Okay? All right, good. There we go. There we go. (laughs) Guys, hungry already. All right, here we go. So there's two types of people in this world today. There's those that are following Jesus and those that are not yet following Jesus. And that's the only way we're going to classify them. So that means in this room, there's two types of people in here today. Those of you that are following Jesus and those of you that are not yet following Jesus. And what I want you to hear about this, and maybe you're tuning in online and, and you're, you're sitting in here today, I just want you to start to think about what God has actually called us to do as disciple makers for him. Because I think a lot of times we grow up in a system that shows us one way, we get ingrained that that is the way, and then once we see things in scripture that don't kind of line up with that, it starts to kind of stir questions inside of us. And so we have to ask, okay, what am I actually called to do? And that's what we're going to address today because the, this series that Zach kicked off last week is called Saturate the City. 
And we want to saturate the city with the hope of Jesus. And Zach did an incredible job setting that up last week. And but I want you to go back to the day of your surrender. For those of you that are followers of Jesus in here, I want you to travel back to that day, whatever, however long ago that was. I want you to travel back to the day that you surrendered your life to Jesus. If you need to close your eyes and remember the day. I remember for me, I was alone in my apartment. My wife and two boys at the time were gone and I, I literally fell on my knees. I surrendered my life and I said, Jesus, everything I have is yours. I want you to go back to that day. And I want you to remember the next morning when you woke up and how everything looked and seemed different and how literally opening your eyes for the first time that next morning, it, it, something just looked different. It seemed different. It seemed brighter. There seemed to be less weight on you. It seemed to be something had fundamentally changed, but you were still you. You still probably lived in the same place and your environment was probably still the same, but everything was different. Back in early 2020, I got to the opportunity to go to Europe and train church planters for about 16 days. And I remember landing in a French airport and getting off of the plane and looking around and going, I don't speak French. This is not good. I have to find another gate and I have to get on another plane and I have no idea what to do because the signs were in French, the workers were in French, <laughs> And I wasn't fast enough on Google Translate to do anything. And I'm walking through the airport and I'm watching how people are moving and they're looking and they're, I'm just following what they're doing. And then it happened. I heard English. I was like, and he saw the look on my face and he was like, hey man, you need help? I said, I do. Where's this and how do I get there? And he showed me how to navigate through the French airport full of French speakers and French workers when I had no idea what in the world I was doing. But he never taught me how to do that with somebody else. And I want you to go back to the day of your salvation in that next morning when you woke up. I want you to imagine walking out of your house and you see your neighbor and you say something to them and you know it's the neighbor you've grown up next to or you've been next to you for a while, but they don't understand what you're saying. And then they respond to you and you have no idea what they're saying. You're like, wow, that's weird. I knew she was losing her mind, but that was pretty fast. <laughs> and you walk out and you're like, man, everything looks different. But I mean, I know that's the house. This is my house, right? And this is my street. And, but everything seems odd. And, and then it happens. You hear somebody else that sounds like you and you're like, hey, what is happening right now? What is going on? And they come next to you and they help you figure out that new life that you are now living. And then as a disciple maker, they'll then take you and teach you to do the exact same thing. That's what it means to be a disciple maker who makes disciple makers. And if you've ever been to a foreign country, you know the weight of the anxiousness that that creates inside of you, right? But as you start to process through this, we have two questions that we want to start out with. The first one is this. What does it mean to saturate the city with the hope of Jesus? So what does that mean? This city that you live in, the map that you guys participated with last week, I saw where you go to work and where you live and where you play. You guys are spread out around Indianapolis. So what does it mean to saturate this city, the surrounding cities with the hope of Jesus? And secondly, what does this have to do with you? What is the part you play in this so, this is a true story about me, and it should be a true story about you as well. I've been a full-time pastor since 2006. 
I've walked with a lot of people. I've discipled a lot of people. I've seen a lot of situations. But the number one situation that I run into over and over and over and over and over and over again is people have a deep misunderstanding about what their role is in being a hope dealer. And what their role is about taking the hope of Jesus to their neighbors, to their friends, to their family, their co-workers. Because there seems to be some, some odd release that happens once we're secured and okay, where we say, okay, now I am satisfied. My life has been set free. I am now living for Jesus. I will now see him again one day. So, I mean, I'm pretty much good, right? And there seems to be something that happens that immediately that moment of our salvation, there's something that's fighting against all of the things happening inside of you where you're really excited and you want everybody to know the hope. But then there's this weird thing about rejection and you're not sure how people are going to take it. And the longer you live in that, the less bold you are with what just happened to you. And so it seems like although we want everybody to know what just happened to us, something else starts to win. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the benefit of the doubt. I think every follower of Jesus in this room and watching online wants everyone around them to know the hope of Jesus. Is that fair to say? That's not convincing. <laughs> Is that fair to say, everyone? Okay, good. So we're all on the same page. We want this for everyone around us, right? But what does that have to do with you? Now, you can tell I'm setting you up just a little bit, right? Don't stop answering. We'll be here all night, okay? All right. Jesus told us in John 15 that when we surrender our lives to him, we are no longer of this world. What does that mean? Well, what that means is your citizenship was transferred to heaven. You don't live here anymore. You're just passing through until Jesus calls you home one day. So if we were all preparing for a missions trip to India, I'm pretty sure we would start to learn culture, learn language, learn how to navigate a country we've never been to. And we would start to eat food, so we would start to get used to it with our system, and we would prepare and know everything we're supposed to know about how to actually make it in another country. Guess what? If you're a follower of Jesus, you're in another country. We like to say that every believer is a missionary. Now, our way of studying the culture is typically through Instagram or TikTok, right? I'm not going to scold you. It's not inherently bad. We need to figure out what's going on. It's okay. But then we need to have responses to that culture, right? The response is you're a missionary. The response is you're, you're called to the people that live around you, the people that work around you, the people that play around you, the people in your family and your coworkers. You're called it is your actual privilege. I'm going to say that over responsibility to share the hope of Jesus with those people. You want to know why? Because I don't know those people. I would love to share it for you, but that's not my job. God put you in those places for a very specific reason, and you're a missionary there. I wonder if you've ever thought of yourself as a missionary. So what happens if you have not been living like a missionary? 
What happens if you've never told another person about the hope of Jesus? Well, there's two things you should remember. Number one, you are not condemned. Is, is, this, is this still on? Okay. Is that, I don't, I'm not sure you guys heard what I just said. You are not condemned. <laughs> I mean, like, if that's not the best news you've heard in your lifetime, I don't know what else is better than this. Because here's what I'm probably sure happened when I start to walk through what you are as a missionary, and you're like, wow, I've never told the hope of Jesus to anybody. Condemnation immediately starts to set in because that's what the enemy wants for you. But isn't it amazing that Jesus says that those who are in me are no longer condemned? It's unbelievable. But you are commanded, though. So I don't want you to live under condemnation, but I want you to realize this is a command. And the only way to saturate our city with the hope of Jesus is if you're obedient to this command. Now, there's something that has happened in church world that has said, we have taken the pressure off of you. We have said, just to bring your friends here, we'll share the hope of the gospel with them. It's not bad. It's just incomplete. Because if you are out actually living as a missionary, sharing the hope of the gospel with your friends and family and neighbors and co-workers, and then you bring them here, that's the complete package. But we don't want your friends to hear about Jesus for the first time when you bring them in these doors. For one, they should be watching how you live different. If I walk into a city in India, I'm going to stick out like a sore thumb. A giant-headed white guy. <laughs> you shouldn't stick out like a sore thumb here in America because you're against culture or you carry a giant Bible. You should stick out here in America because you love people like crazy, regardless of how different they are from you. And I want to show you a couple different verses. I want to show you Romans 8 because I want you to make sure that you see this for yourself. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Amen, everybody? Amen. Man. That word condemnation actually means a damnatory sentence. It means you are guilty. It actually means a judgment worthy of punishment. Parents, I'm going to throw in something extra for you today. I want you to realize that God punished his own son on the cross so we would no longer have to be punished. Okay, let that sink in for a second. How cruel would God be if I surrender my life to him, he said he forgave me of all of my sins and then continued to punish me when I did something wrong? Now, before you think about heretic, just calm down and let me explain. Are there consequences for your sin? Yeah, of course there are. But you're not going to get punished. He already punished his son on a cross with your sin and my sin and the sin of the world. And he got rid of that once and for all. So when you look at this word condemnation, it is a damnatory sentence of something you are guilty and it's a judgment worthy of punishment. But if you're a follower of Jesus and you've never shared the hope of the gospel with anybody else, you are no longer under that damnatory sentence. 
You're not living under that any longer. You're living under the grace of Jesus, but then there's a command that follows up. So let's look at Matthew 28. If you've been a follower of Jesus for any length of time, you know this scripture. As a matter of fact, it was quoted here last week, but let's read it again. Jesus came near to them and said, now, what I want you to understand about this first phrase is he's giving them a lot of confidence in this statement. All authority has been given to me on heaven, in heaven and on earth. Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. That's your command. Now, ironically, there is something passive in this verse. Typically, the commands were like, okay, it's action, we got to go, and that is true. But that go word, that is actually a passive verb. You know what that means, though? This is going to bring a bit of perspective for you, okay? An active go means the subject is doing something, is doing the work. In a passive go, it means the subject is doing nothing. Well, who, who's the subject in this? Now we're back in high school. You ready? Who's the subject here? All nations, right? All the lost people. So you, as a hope dealer and a follower of Jesus, you're to passively go, which means as you go, as you wake up, as you leave your home, as you go to the grocery store, as you go to get your hair cut, as you go to have fun, as you go to a coffee shop, as you go, you are taking the hope of Jesus to the subjects, which is the lost people of our cities. Is that cool? That's your command. Now, I don't live under condemnation while I am taking the hope of Jesus. Because church, let's be honest with each other. If you feel condemned, this is not even good news to you. Why would you share that news with anybody else? So here today, you have to live under the freedom that Jesus gave you in salvation. Now, for me, I grew up in this city in a very legalistic Baptist church. When I surrendered my life at 25, I had to unlearn so many things that I thought I was supposed to live like. For an example, I had heard the word grace, and I had read the word grace in the Bible. Never in a million years knew what that meant. Until my wife and I, after we got married, we left that church and we went to another church that was preaching this series on grace, and God immediately captured my heart. Because what I realized is all of my sin, all of my shame, all of the things I've ever done, God said, I know about all of it and I'll forgive all of it. You, you, you want to tell me that's not good news to people? It was good news to you if you've surrendered your life at one point anyway. That's what brought you to salvation. Because you realized something was wrong, you realized something was off. And you said, wait a minute, you know everything I've done and you'll forgive me? No one on this planet's ever forgiven me all the way. He said, yeah, I will. When that brought you to the place where you said, okay, the rest of my life is yours. I want to show you what that looks like. I show this at our church all the time. This is how we hold on to life. We grip it tightly and we love to control things. Anyone who will be willing to raise their hand and admit they're a control freak? Anybody? All right, good. Good room this morning. 
Look closely. This is our idea of surrender. I just open up my hand. If I open up my hand with my idea of surrender, it means I can close back around this and take back control. If I come to Jesus like this and I say, okay, you take it, Jesus. He's like, that's not what I'm interested in, though. I'm interested in your total surrender. Where we turn our hands over, it falls out. There's nothing we can do to grab it because it's gone. That's all your sin, all your shame, all your worry, all your anxiety, everything you have surrendered to Jesus. He has then set you free from that and he no longer condemns you for that. Amen? And that's good news. Who doesn't want to hear that news? But then when the enemy starts to lie to you and plant things back in your head and says, did he really forgive you for everything though? Even what you're doing right now? And then you start to feel condemned. And you start to go, hmm. I mean, it's mostly good news. And then you start to think about things that you're like, man, there's no way he could have actually forgiven me for that, though. That's, there's no way. Nobody even knows about that. He's here saying, yes, I did. The enemy's like, no, he didn't. This happened in the garden with Adam and Eve. Eve. This happened with Jesus when he was tempted. You want to know why? Because the enemy only has one play. He's a liar. One play. That's it. Now he's really good at it. And he's masterful at getting you to believe lies and me to believe lies. But can we agree together that therefore there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus is a much better truth than the lie the enemy's ever going to tell me? Can we agree on that? So this always is good news to us. It just depends on how you are receiving it. A lot of times on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. But if for a couple things can happen for you to walk out of here today, to walk out fully in the freedom of your salvation today would be unbelievable. And if you would look at me and say, no, I totally get it. Great. Who are you discipling then? Who, who's sitting next to you that doesn't know Jesus? Who is it that you're working with throughout the week that you're, you're, you're discipling them towards salvation? You're then leading them to surrender. Then you're teaching them to do the same. Because if you believe this fully, that's the life you'll live according to the commands of Jesus. You're not condemned, but you are commanded. So let's look at this next slide. It says, so what is your top priority of your life right now? You just started a brand new year. We think about our life a little more when the new year rolls around and we think, yeah, 2023 was good. Maybe it was great for you. Maybe it was the worst year of your life. I don't know how you're sitting in here this morning. But I want you to start thinking about it. And, and I think probably most of us are going to have a hard time identifying this right now. What is the most important thing in your life right now? But let me give you a little hack. This is really easy to figure out. Open up your bank statement and open up your calendar. That'll tell you everything you need to know. Where's the majority of your money go? And where does the majority of your time go? That will tell you what the most important thing in your life is right now. Now, 
I, I want you to realize if we drew a triangle of your life and we placed the most important thing at the top of the triangle, you can call this the iceberg theory, you can call it whatever you want. And we, we know that underneath the surface of the water in an iceberg is about 90% of the mass of it. But that's where all like the heavy weighty stuff is at. So if we put the top of the triangle and then flipped it over, what would happen to your life? Would it tear a hole in the side of your life like it did the Titanic? Because those unseen things, you had to flip them over and it literally just wrecked your entire world? Because if Jesus is sitting up there and you flip your life upside down, things may be a little bit difficult for you, but it's not going to wreck your life. I don't know many of you here, and you're not answering this question for me, but I'm trying to prepare you for a conversation that you're going to have with Jesus one day. And although I don't know you, I love you enough so you'll hear the warnings of Jesus. I thought that when my dad retired, he would be a grandpa and live a long life with my grandsons and with my sons and with me. And he died unexpectedly December 22nd of 2020. It's been over three years now. It devastated our family. Well, you want to know how we've been able to like move on and my mom's faith has actually increased after being married to him for almost 50 years and it's because he put Jesus at the top of his life. And when his life was upended, our lives as a result of that got to see the life that he lived. And it gave us such an incredible grace and an incredible favor and an incredible feeling to know that I will see my dad again one day. But when death becomes a reality for all of us, and it hits really close for us, we think about life differently, don't we? But isn't it weird until something happens, we don't really think about it that much? I'm asking you to think about it right now. There will be a day Listen to me, it should be the most amazing day of your life when you're standing in a line and 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 then you finally get to see Jesus' face. <sighs> Jesus, I, I have waited so long for this. I, I'm so excited to be here. And then he says, man, I'm so excited you're here too, Mike. What did you do with the command? Remember I told you to go and make disciples and baptize them and teach them everything I've commanded you. And I, I have to tell him what I did with that. And you have to tell him what you did with that. And I'm trying to prepare you for that conversation. Because none of us get a pass None of us get to put anything as a caveat or an asterisk around Matthew 28. And I know that you've grown up in a country that preaches comfort to you and tells you to do whatever you want to do that makes you happy, but Jesus rescued you and set you free and gave you a command along with no condemnation. 
and it is the way our lives are supposed to be lived. And if they're not being lived that way, church, you have to change it today. You have no idea how many breaths you have left. We don't decide that. So let's use every single one of them to share the hope of Jesus with people, yeah? Because I think we can all agree that our world needs the hope of Jesus pretty bad right now. But this is our command and I want to prepare you for this because the Bible talks so much about sowing seeds because it was a, an agrarian culture, so it was what they were constantly looking at. So I'm going to read you scripture that's not on the screen. It's from Galatians 6. It says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, this is what they'll reap. Because the one who sows to the flesh will reap destruction from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. You cannot sow to the flesh and expect to reap from the Spirit. I don't know where you're at in here today. And I have no idea how you're living your life. All I'm, I'm saying to you is let's take a quick inventory. At the top of the triangle, let me just ask you a few questions. Is it, is it your career for you? Let's say you accomplish everything you want, make more money than you can spend. What do you get out of that when you die and stand in front of Jesus? I mean, great accomplishment, honestly. And you should work hard. But it should be second place, at least, third, fourth, fifth, to the command Jesus gave us. We're so conditioned for comfort that we work our entire lives to get it, and then we work to keep it once we have it. For those of you that are a little bit older in this room, you'll understand this. My wife and I, when we first got married, had a jar of pickles and a ramen noodle in the cabinet. Super high living for us. <laughs> you can now go to my pantry. Coming up in February, we'll be married 27 years. It's pretty amazing. You can now go to my pantry and we have two jars of pickles and three ramen noodles. <laughs> We've really, really moved up in life. But isn't it funny how like when you increase and you can buy more things, it never seems like there's still enough. I don't care how much you make. Because your toys just get more expensive, then they get more expensive to upkeep, and then you're like, wow, this brand new thing that was really cool is just a thing. This thing cost me a lot of money. This is dumb. And isn't it weird how these things that we work for and we want and then we get and they're not as cool as we thought they were and they don't satisfy at all? There's never an end to that, just so you know. Because I saw an interview with the richest man in the world, and he said, I'm still not satisfied. I need more. Hundreds of billions he's worth, and he's not satisfied. I would be willing to try, <laughs> but I don't think it's ever going to lead anywhere. <laughs> Can we be honest with each other? If you had all the money in the world, you'd still be anxious, and it would never give you comfort that you're trying to get. Second one, is it your family? This seems kind of a weird question, right? It's like, Jesus, he gave me my family. That's important. It is important. But have they become the most important thing in your life so that your entire existence is to please them and make sure they're cared for? I know this sounds good, and it is good, but not at the expense of placing them over the commands of Jesus. 
I want you to realize you're showing your family what the most important thing in this world is by what you model. You'll then grow frustrated when your kids grow up and they're really nice people, but they don't show the hope of Jesus to anyone else. Because remember, we reap what we sow. And then the third one, is it Jesus? This one's easy. Can you turn around and look behind you and see a trail of people you share the hope of Jesus with, disciple them, and then taught them to do the same thing? That's the only test you need right there. Paul tells us that we are to live in this world, but we're not of this world. And as I close, I just want you to kind of think about the things that have been said today. You're not condemned, but you are commanded. So I know there's probably been some heavy things that have been said that you've heard today. Listen to me. If you're leaving here with heaviness out of condemnation, that's the enemy. That's not Jesus. If you're leaving with a conviction, that's good. Because the Holy Spirit, that's his job as he convicts and then we change and then we move on and we grow closer to Jesus and then there's more conviction because we're growing closer to Jesus. I don't want you to leave here feeling anything other than conviction, no condemnation. For us, Christians unfortunately have become like these ridiculous things. Every woman in America from age 5 to 75 wants one of these. For those of you women that don't, you are my new hero. This is my wife's that was given to her. She didn't buy this thing. But how many of these Instagram stories have you seen? I have my cup and my fit. <laughs> Somebody should have took a picture of that one. Okay, so one of the viral stories about these is that a girl had one of these in her car, and her car burnt down. And she pulls it out, and she does this, and there's still ice. And so Stanley, like the geniuses they are, buy her a new car, because that's an incredible PR marketing routine there. And they're like, everybody's like, oh my gosh, they're an amazing company. Let's go out and buy more construction worker cups. Because I'm a construction worker, and the vintage ones are going for a lot of money. I have a thermos from the 70s. I will sell for 5000 See me after the service. Okay? They're so popular because their insulation is so good. As followers of Jesus, we are not supposed to be insulated. You are not a Stanley Cup. <laughs> because... Our closing section of scripture in 1 Corinthians says this. This is Paul. I wrote to you in a letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. I did not mean the immoral people of this world or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters. Otherwise, you would have to leave the planet. I think that's pretty funny. Anybody else? Okay, so who is Paul telling us we should be around? Listen, if you're insulated, you will be around no one that fits that list for any length of time except to pick up your paycheck probably because you're forced to work next to them. But look at what he says. He says, but I actually, I wrote to you not to associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister and is sexually immoral or greedy and idolater or verbally abusive, a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such a person. 
For what business is it of mine to judge outsiders? I want to remind you, the outsiders, as they're put here in this verse, are the people who need the hope of Jesus. And how will they know the hope of Jesus if they are not in your life? Read your Bible. It's where Jesus spent his time. If we're going to act in the way of Jesus, we have to model what he did. Imagine what kind of viral videos would go around about Jesus today that he was hanging out with prostitutes and the money swindlers and the scum of the earth. Church, if you're serious about this, the Bible tells you that you're a seed sower. When I first moved into my house 19 years ago, my grass was pretty patchy, and grass seed was the answer. And so in my front yard, I took one seed and I threw it down. And I waited a whole entire season and nothing happened. It was ridiculous. And then I went to my side yard the other time and I threw another seed down the next year. And I watched and I watered and I waited and that little tiny speck was pretty good. But nothing else happened in my whole entire yard. So the next year I took a couple and I was like, all right, this will help. And it did. But it still didn't really necessarily make anything. So you're called to be a seed sower. So what in the world does that mean? For you cleanup crew, I apologize in advance. Okay. Now, here's what I want you to realize. You're sowing seeds every single day of your life. Now, if you know how one of these spreaders work, it's supposed to be spreading right now, but it's doing nothing. Okay? Because there's something else that you have to do in here to make it actually activate and work. And so I just want you to think about, if you're a person here who's never shared the hope of the gospel with anybody, I want you to realize you're sowing seeds, but they're not seeds of hope. Now, Jesus calls us to do this. What does it mean to sow a seed? Well, it's quite simple, actually. It means that you're going to just smile at somebody and you're going to share the hope of Jesus with them and stay away from those petals. And you're going to see this actually happen around your life. And then you're going to actually water it and somebody else is going to go back and water it. And then you're going to see some incredible fruit from this to where when I ask you, how has your life been lived? You're going to look behind you and you're going to see a whole bunch of seeds that have been watered and hope has spread all over the city. Isn't that amazing? That's what you're supposed to be called to do. And your life is supposed to be lived in response to this. I'm really done, but I can't leave any of this in here. And so I just want you to imagine tomorrow who you're going to spread these seeds to. Because this is what you're actually called to do, church. And although it would be noble if we planted a seed here and a seed there, God's like, hey, your life is supposed to be lived as you go in response, sowing seeds everywhere. So as, as the band comes up and we close, I just, I just want you to just close your eyes for a second. And I know there's going to be a response time, but I just want you to think through a few things. The day of your salvation, the day of that surrender. You remember what that was like? For some of you, it may even have been recently. Man, how everything looked different. Everything was different. You were so excited about what happened to you. 
that if you were like me, you couldn't wait to tell everybody else and you honestly didn't care what they said. Can we capture a bit of that innocence again today? Let me ask you a question. Let's say that tomorrow at work, you just start having a gospel conversation. And you're like, Mike, let me stop you right there. I don't know how to have a gospel conversation. You want to know what's amazing? You have a church right here that teaches a hope dealer training. And they'll teach you how to do that. And so after you've learned, you go back in and you start having a bridge conversation with one of your coworkers and they start to ask you about it and you're sowing seeds. Let me ask you this. What if they say, hey, shut your mouth. Don't ever talk to me about this again. That is the worst that's going to happen to you. I think we can live with that. If you're a teenager, if you're in high school, middle school, this may be a little bit more difficult for you. I'll be honest, it's a pretty ruthless society that you live in these days. We're going to pray a special blessing and favor and protection over you. But to elementary, middle school, or in high schoolers, listen to me. That command was given to you too if you're followers of Jesus. Let your life be lived differently than the lives you see on social media, than the conversations you hear in the hallway. And if you're rejected and you lose followers and nobody wants to talk to you and that's the worst thing that happens, but they've heard the hope of Jesus, then praise God and amen. Because you will stand in front of Jesus one day and go, yep, I told him Jesus. That's all he asks. So Father, I pray for the people in here today. Thank you for the opportunity just to share, Lord, what you command us to do underneath no condemnation. I pray that we would go out and we would be seed sowers all over Greenwood. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.